but it would be a, I thought it would be a good idea to sing part, at least part of it first, and we're going to do that. Psalm 41 through 5. Let's stand together as we sing it. Please be seated. Well, as I said before, we're going to be looking at Psalm 40 this morning, and I invite you to turn with me 
in your Bibles there now. You'll find that on page 468 if you're using the Pew Bible, 468. Let's pray together once more. Heavenly Father, we we do come to you and we give you thanks for your word. Lord, we we know this this is your word that we're looking at and listening to and Lord we pray that we would treat it with that kind of reverence that it deserves a word from you this is what you would have us to know and we thank you for that Lord that you've revealed yourself to us and your will to us and your Savior to us and we pray Lord that as we think about Psalm 40 this morning that you would through this God-breathed word Equip us for everything that we need to be your people. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would renew us and transform us into the image of Christ. And especially, Lord, we pray that we would learn what it means to trust in you in all of our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 40, God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word to us. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I desire to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. 
May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Where does happiness and true fulfillment lie? And we've been thinking biblically about what it means to be blessed or happy or fulfilled. And we have a tendency to look at our lives and proclaim uh, that, you know, I am blessed when we think of certain things, certain aspects of our lives. Perhaps we think of the material goods that we have. We think of our house, our bank accounts, our car, or, you know, the material possessions that, are, that we own. And we think, well, I've been blessed. Or we might think about our good health and realize that, yes, we are blessed with good health. Or maybe it's the relationships we have. And we look around at holiday time and we interact with our family members, maybe our extended family, and we say, well, we're blessed to have these people in our our lives. And these are certainly good things, and it's not inappropriate to call them blessings. And these are things that we pursue because we believe that they are good things that we want in life. We want money and possessions and health and relationships, and in their proper place, those things aren't necessarily bad. But how does the Bible describe the blessed person? How how does the Bible tell us to be happy and fulfilled? What should you pursue in order to be happy and fulfilled according to the Bible? That's the concern of this series that we're doing. Because the world will give you all kinds of advice about what is valuable, what you should set as your priorities and what you should pursue with your life. And the world rarely agrees with the Bible, if it ever does. Just think about, for example, how much money and time we spent on advertising. You know, advertising is the reason we have professional sports. I think advertising drives that. The reason that they get such huge salaries is because of advertising. That's where they, the money comes from, television and selling the rights and selling the advertisements. We all know the, the, the exorbitant price of putting a commercial on during the Super Bowl so people can sell their goods to us or sell their services to us. And you, you ever stop and think about what these advertisements are actually saying is the good life. You know, it's having this car or uh, having the latest cell phone or, you know, having, uh, using this bank instead of that bank. All these things, there, there's, a, there's a information coming to us telling us what, what we need, uh, what we should want, and it forms and shapes our desires if we allow ourselves to listen to that. We should listen to the scriptures and see what does it tell us about what it means to be blessed and fulfilled in life, and that's what we want to do. Now, when we think about what the world's telling us versus what the Bible tells us, just think about what we've already studied in the the past few weeks. Would the world say that a person is blessed who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night? No. And would the world tell us that we would be truly blessed if we would make Jesus Christ our refuge, as it does in Psalm 2? Would seeking God's forgiveness in Christ be at the top of the world's priorities? Psalm 32, as we looked at last week. No, the world won't tell us those things. But God 
the one who created us, who knows us better than we know ourselves, who knows us intimately and created us to know him, he is telling us how we can be blessed and who doesn't want to be blessed. We all want to be blessed. We want to be happy and we want to be fulfilled. But too often we look for it in the wrong places. Well, I want to look at three things today from this passage. The blessing of putting your trust in the Lord, the practice of putting your trust in the Lord, and the reasons for putting your trust in the Lord. So I think you understand what the point of this sermon is. Trust in the Lord. There's a blessing attached to it. The psalm before us today warns us of looking for those blessings in the wrong places. And we see the lesson that they're trying to promote there in verse 4. That David is trying to promote there in verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. So, first of all, positively, blessed is the man who who makes the Lord his trust. Trust means uh, an object of confidence or reliance, or security, that thing in which we find our confidence, our reliance, our security. We could translate this verse in some different ways. We might could say, blessed is the man who places his confidence in the Lord. Blessed is the man who relies upon the Lord. Blessed is the man who looks to the Lord for security. Just ask yourself, Where is your trust? Where is your confidence? Where do you find your security? Who or what makes you feel safe in your life? When we don't feel secure and safe, or if we feel like our life is out of control, we get anxious. And anxiety can certainly come from real physical danger, Um, but it also can come from uncertainty about the future. Worry and fear come when we're uncertain about the future. Well, anxiety is on the rise in our world, is it not? I think everybody would agree with that. We live in dangerous, dangerous times. We read about all the violence in the world and in our country. Uh, We... We have uncertainty about the future. We see how things are changing. You look at the news today and your stomach can get all tied up in knots just from watching the evening news. So where, in the midst of all this, do you find your refuge, your safety, your comfort, your escape, your pleasure, your security? And this is, the, this is the, the question that the psalmist is wanting us to ask ourselves. You know, and, it, and it's digging out our false trusts. It, it's searching for those places where we use escape to substitute for the Lord. You can think about that. Sometimes when we face these anxieties, we just want to tune it out. We want to escape. And that's where a lot of the addictive behavior comes from that is so prevalent in our world. We, we want to find comfort. We want peace. We want a sense of security. Uh, often it's, it's easier just to find comfort in a bottle or a drug 
or an experience such as pornography or gambling. These things are, are, are some of the more prevalent addictions of our day. Why are they so prevalent? Because people are trying to find comfort and peace in this world in which we live. Life's troubles and pressures are always going to be all around us. And so many things that we look at or look to for, for refuge, they're just false refuges. So this psalm is inviting us to explore that question and to find our, our, where, where, it, where we really need to find our true tr security in the Lord. And we will be blessed if we do so. So that's the positive side. We trust in the Lord, put our confidence, our reliance, find our security in the Lord. But he also negatively warns us, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Uh, the word proud here, uh, or haughty, uh, people who think they know it all or don't need God, uh, and that's what the world would be telling us. We don't need God. We can turn to all kinds of things for our security and comfort in these days. But that word proud is the word, the Hebrew word, Rahab, if you want to anglicize it a little bit, Rahab. Uh, it's the, the, you know, we know the lady in Jericho, uh, Rahab. That's not what I'm referring to here. Uh, but this is a verb. I mean, maybe her name meant proud. Um, that's, that was what, what her name would have meant. But here, that word Rahab is used elsewhere in Scripture, and it often is used in reference to Egypt. Now, I'm not saying that Psalm 40 is telling us not to turn to Egypt for our comfort and security, but in the Old Testament, the people of Israel often did look to Egypt for their comfort, for their security. You just think about the Exodus. They were, they were in bondage in Egypt, and they had, they had you know, seen the great deliverance through the Red Sea, and here they are wandering in the desert, and, and it wasn't long before they started complaining whether it was the water or the food or whatever. And they said, oh, wasn't it great back in Egypt? We should go back to Egypt. And, of course, God says, no, you're, I'm leading you to this promised land. I am, trust me through this. You remember what they said? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. They were slaves, okay? So they, they, it cost them everything. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. God's provision was not enough. They were looking elsewhere for it. And in the days of the kings, you see often that uh, the kings who were godless, who had rejected uh, their, the Lord, their God, they would turn to other countries, often Egypt, for help in times of war. In, for example, 2 Kings 18, they're looking to Egypt instead of looking to the Lord, and the Lord will have none of that. So when the pressures of life mount up, we are tempted to go back to the old false trusts and escapisms that have served us in the past, and we turn to worldly wisdom instead of the Lord. That's the temptation that we face. He also mentions... The, not only those who turn to the proud, but to those who go astray after a lie or a deception. And that, that can be construed as an idol. Uh, uh, an idol is often referred to in Scripture as a lie, 
uh, as uh, something that is vain, that is empty, that is nothing. Because it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a piece of wood, it's a piece of metal, it's n- not a real God. So to those who are idolaters, anytime we turn to something other than God for what only God can truly give, that's idolatry. You know, we may not be bowing down to a, an idol of wood or stone or metal, but we're, we have idols in our hearts, things that we find our comfort, our security in other than God. That's idolatry. It's just as bad as bowing down to a false god, because that's what we're doing. But if we want to be blessed, happy, and fulfilled, we will put our trust in the Lord. Now, what does that look like? That's the question. Second of all, the practice of putting your trust in the Lord. He gives us a testimony here in the first three verses. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Well, a couple of lessons here that we need to to draw from this. Putting your trust in the Lord doesn't mean that you will never face adversity. You'll see here that he was trusting in the Lord, waiting patiently for the Lord, but he was, as he says, he was in the pit of destruction. He was in the miry bog. He was like, a, like Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern, a pit, a dungeon, and he sank in the mud, and it took a bunch of men to pull him out again. Well, I believe David, I don't think David was ever thrown into a pit, or the Bible doesn't record that for us, so I think he's speaking metaphorically here, and we understand what he's saying. Sometimes we feel like in life that we are in a pit of destruction, in a miry bog, and we, we live lives with adversity. Difficult things happen to us. Real dangers, real problems in life. Where do we turn in those times? Trusting the Lord doesn't mean that those things won't happen. But God uses those things in our lives. We can, we'll talk about more, more about that in, the, in a moment. So trusting the Lord doesn't mean that we will never face adversity. And also, trusting the Lord doesn't mean that we won't have to wait and be patient. You see here, I waited patiently for the Lord in the Hebrew. This, I've told you all this before, that when, uh, the, in the Hebrew, when they want to emphasize something, they say the word twice. So if they want to talk about really pure gold, they'll just put gold, gold. Or in the case of Joseph was thrown into a pit, he was thrown into a pit pit, which means it was a, a really nasty pit. Well, here the word is not, the word patiently is not actually there. It's just I, I waited, waited. Uh, or I really, literally, I waited to wait. So you get the picture. He waited a long time. He had to be patient. It's a good translation. He waited patiently. It wasn't like he just waited and called upon God and then, bam, everything was good. He waited on the Lord. He trusted in the Lord through a long, difficult time in the pit of destruction, in the miry bog. But God did incline his, his ear to him and heard his cry. God heard him and knew about it. Still didn't mean he didn't have to wait some time. And it's in that waiting in the middle of adversity and difficulties and problems in life that we often are tempted to put our trust elsewhere than in the Lord. 
The psalmist is telling us, look, just wait on the Lord and you will not be disappointed. In fact, you will be blessed, happy, fulfilled. You will have a new song in your mouth. The joy that overflows in this psalm is, is, a, is a great example to us, a great reminder to us. If we wait, there will be joy. That's the way the Christian life is. There is suffering, there's trial, there's difficulty, there's a death to die, and then, but there's always a resurrection that comes with it. We need to remember that as we put our trust in the Lord, that it will require, often will require patience in the middle of adversity. So that's the practice of putting your trust in the Lord. Finally, the reasons for putting your trust in the Lord. Can you trust God? That's the question here. Yes, you, you know, I'm telling you, you're blessed if you put your trust in the Lord. Um, yes, it may mean that it doesn't secure you from difficulties in life and you, won't have, you might have to wait. But the real difficulty we have is, is God trustworthy? Can I trust him? Just think about a human relationship that you have. Can you trust that person? You know, we, we often are called to trust people in our lives. And sometimes it's difficult to do that, especially if they betrayed us. Of course, that doesn't apply to God. We may think it does, but it's never applied to God, and, and I'll demonstrate that. Look at, the, look at what it says first uh, in verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Now the psalmist doesn't say that these thoughts came after that deliverance. It doesn't say that now that God has you know, turned his ear to the psalmist to David in his distress that now God's thinking about it. No, God has always been thinking about you. God is continually acting for his people. He hasn't ever stopped doing that. God is ever acting for and thinking about his people. Just think about that in personally. God's deeds on your behalf. He's, if you're his child... He is constantly acting on your behalf. You may not see it. You may not understand how he's acting on your behalf, but the Bible tells us that he is through every circumstances because he's in control of every circumstances. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And what is that good? What is the good? What is the good that it's working toward? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. All the adversity in our lives, God uses to make us more like Christ. So you can always know what he's doing, at least the ultimate purpose behind it. And how it's all working out, it's all in his hands. It's all under his control Therefore, there's no reason to be anxious about our lives. God knows us. He is ever acting for us. And he's always thinking about us. Now, how that's possible with billions of people on the planet, uh, God is a big God, and he's beyond our understanding. But he knows our thoughts, and he's thinking about 
us as individuals. I love that verse. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. I'm going to tell you about all the deeds and all the thoughts God has about us. Yet, they are more than can be told. That last phrase, they're, they're more than can be told. You can't even list it all off, the psalmist says. So that's reassuring that God is ever acting for and thinking about his people. If you are trusting in him, that should reassure you. And if you're not, then it should say, well, here's, here's a God who loves his people and is ever acting and thinking about them. And he's proved it. Well, back before I say that, as for you, verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. That's God's character. And that's what he's doing. He's ever preserving us. And he will always preserve us. Yes, we will face death sooner or later. But as I said before, there's always a resurrection and an eternal life at the end of that. So if we're trusting in the Lord, that's reserved for us. So, secondly, he has already gone to the greatest lengths to save us. He has already demonstrated his great love towards us. Verses 6 through 8 jumps in the middle here. talks about sacrificing and offering. You've not delighted, uh, but you have given me an open ear. Uh, burnt offering is sin offering. You have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews takes these verses, 6, 7, and 8, and he applies them to Christ. He, he demonstrates there in Hebrews 10 that the Old Testament sacrifices didn't actually do anything. They just pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus Christ, once and for all sacrifice for sin. And... No other sacrifice is needed. And he is sufficient for all that God is making holy. All, that God has, all the people that God has brought to himself and who are devoted to him. And I, and, I'm, and I don't mean that on your side, on his side. That he has devoted you to himself. He has adopted you into his family and now you are his child. He has gone to the greatest length to save you in Christ. That's right in the middle of this psalm. And... If you know that he would send his only begotten son into the world, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, if you, if you know that, if you see that, and, and think about your own sin and the fact that, hey, God did this for me, a sinner, is he just going to leave us in the middle of our low bank account? When we're having a problem in our marriage, you think God's going to just abandon us? When he's already sent his son to die for us? There's a great old song. Uh, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim, to let us drown. He didn't build his home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to let us down. That's so true of God. We just need to look at the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ and, and be assured that whatever our circumstances, God has got our best interests at heart. We may not understand everything that's going on in our lives and why, the why behind it, but we can trust him through it. 
because he's already proved it by how far he's gone to save us. And then the third thing that we see under another reason here for putting our trust in him, the final reason, is you need him. You need him. Look at verse 12. The second half of this psalm is actually almost word for word ripped out and, and, and then you have Psalm 70. Uh, people sing Psalm 70 separate. You know, they, they've taken part of Psalm 40. And because this, it's, it's, it's present now. You know, he looked back at the great deliverance that he experienced in verses 1 through 3, but now he's talking in the present tense. He's saying how much he needs them now. Evils have encompassed me beyond number, verse 12. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. Just think about what we've just read here. He has he's experienced a great deliverance in the past in verses 1 through 3, and he's just rejoicing that God has delivered him, and he's telling everybody about it, and he's encouraging us all to trust in the Lord, and yet he's still affirming that he's still a sinner, and, and he still needs that deliverance. You know, one would think that you hear about the deliverance, and, and now everything is hunky-dory, but no. He's still trusting in the Lord because he's a sinner. And we are too. We often think when we fall into sin again and again that maybe God's had enough or that maybe he's, you know, well, you know, I'm tired of fooling with you. I'm going to throw you off to the side. No, he's ever there for us to trust in him. And he cries out, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me again and again and again. Make haste to help me again and again and again. And he cries out against those who would hurt him. We need that deliverance. You need that deliverance. And, and it, you can only find it in the Lord. You can't find it anywhere else in this world. It can only be found in him. We can get a sense of security from things, from our bank accounts, from having control over a situation or our lives. We can get it from having wonderful relationships with other human beings. But true, lasting, eternal security only comes from the Lord. And when you have that, when you understand that God is in control and you're his child, and he's continuing to work in you patiently, then it helps you to be patient in the trials that you face, but it also reassures your heart and relieves those anxieties knowing that God's got this. My Heavenly Father cares for me. He's thinking about me through this, and he's working on my behalf, though sometimes it may not seem like that's happening. So, verse 16, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. You see the joy there? That's the blessedness that's shining through. Here's somebody who's trusting in the Lord, and, and it's just it's, it's overflowing out of the psalmist, out of David. Yes, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Do you know that joy? 
You know that, that joy that David is singing about here. Have you ever experienced that joy? If not, trust in the Lord. Put your faith in Him. Turn away from the idols of this world and place your trust squarely upon Him. And you will never be disappointed. No, you will be blessed if you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come once again uh, thanking you for your word and just the encouragement that it is, Lord, to, to know that you care for us and to hear about your love and your forgiveness and your mercy and your faithfulness to your people, even though we're faithless. So, Lord, we pray that we would once again put away our worldly toys and idols and cling to you, embrace you in faith. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never put their trust in you, we pray, Lord, that they would, that they would just cry out to you. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Lord, we thank you that you will not delay. You said today is the day of salvation. So, Lord, I pray that that anybody who's lost here today would know that great salvation that David experienced and sang about and that we sing about. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.